This is your host, T. This is your host, Tia. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Top 10. Why? Geek Vibes Nation. Geek Vibes Nation. 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 The Top 10. The Top 10. All right, there you go. We have started. Thanks, Skype, for taking 10 million years. Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome to a very, very special episode of the Top 10 because we are doing it face-to-face or, I guess, through the computer screen, which is as face-to-face as you can get during these times. And considering the fact Brittany and I live on complete opposite ends of the country, but as always, I'm your host, Tia, and I have with me the lovely Brittany, who definitely put more effort into getting ready this morning than I did. How are you doing? I'm good. I almost decided to, like, dab on you as soon as, like, (laughs) you introduced me, but uh, I'm good. Um, In the old fashion of normally saying what the cats are doing, they actually followed me upstairs. You can't see them, but they're in the cat bed next to me. They're like, oh, yeah, we got mom for the long haul again. Well, I was going to say that um, just before we start, I saw one of their tails, like, go past and and I was like, oh, right. I was like, the cats are out today. <laughs> I, know. I saw I know. Sonny walk by on yours. I saw his little feet trotting. <laughs> you know, oh, and there goes uh, Apollo. I think, I think that was Apollo I just saw. <laughs> um, I do have to say, I don't know if this is going to pick up on the actual uh, recording, but your screen has frozen right now. So I guess this is just like, the hiccups of doing this on, like, Skype as a recording uh, visual, but we'll deal with it. I was going to say, your face froze up for, like, a hot second there when you initially hit record. It was like it was using all of its willpower to uh, activate there for you. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. I have no idea why Skype decides sometimes to, like, completely not have its shit together. (laughs) <laughs> but um, we decided to do this just because it has been a really long time since Brittany and I have actually seen each other. And we were like, you know what, let's have a fun um, face-to-face uh, podcast. And I'm excited for it, Brittany. We are going to be doing the top ten romances in movies and TV shows, which sounds like it should be more akin to Valentine's Day, but screw it, right? <laughs> I know, I sat there whenever you asked me, you're like, what should we do? I was like, uh, somewhere, uh, another couple that'll probably show up on this list. When I got to thinking about them, I was like, oh, I miss them. And I was like, wait a second, we can revisit this. We can revisit this. (laughs) I'm excited, you know, I'm just in general excited anytime we get to do the top ten because... We have a shit ton of fun, so let's, uh, well, before we hop into this, I have to say, since we are doing a visual now, um, as I try and say on every podcast, we have an affiliate code with the coldest water bottle, and you should get one just because you should always stay hydrated, right, Brittany? Are you drinking your water? 
I was just saying, I think I need one because I always run out of water in the middle of it because I'm trying to stay away from plastic bottles and I'm nearly out of lukewarm water now. Lukewarm water. Well, I mean, that is why having a water bottle is great because you get to uh, leave less of your carbon footprint on this earth and you always stay hydrated and it remains cold as opposed to being lukewarm because I hate not cold water. No, I was going to say, they think it's also better for you to drink cold water because your body has to use more energy up warming up the body in you. So you know what? There's another benefit. Make your body work, girl. There you go. Uh, But before we hop into the actual top 10 list, I, as always, have a message from friends of the podcast, which I have to read off of my phone. So if you see me looking down for a second, I don't have the shit memorized, but please make sure that you go and you check out our friend Stranger Damies. Stranger Damies is the ongoing real play D&D podcast from the main Damie family of podcasts. Join them every Wednesday as the wild stallions traverse the many traps and tribulations that Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition has to throw in their path. There's elves, weird half-dragon people, conspiracies to uncover, and more references to the 1980s and Ready Player One. Subscribe to the podcast on all podcast services by searching Stranger Damies and follow them on Twitter and Instagram at Stranger Damies. Stranger Damies is also a proud member of Geek Vibes Nation. You can find us, of course, at Geek Vibes Nation. Uh, Brittany, before we go into the actual list, I am going to request something from you. Oh, no. Now I'm scared. (laughs) Do me a favor. Shut off your camera for a second on Skype and then turn it back on. Okay. Let me figure out how to do that real quick. Uh, Audio and video. Wait, wait, wait. Okay. How are we? All right. Now put the camera back on. Oh, it should be. Uh, we do not have Brittany's face. No, oh, no. <laughs> Let me see. Let me try again. Uh, I can turn off incoming video. I can allow incoming video. And I can, let me see. There's my face again. Well, should be. Uh, webcam settings. I should I should be there. See, I see myself and I see you. It may just be shutting off on your end to save some bandwidth, but it may still be recording. That is very possible, but shit, I really wanted to actually do this oh, face. That's so sad. <laughs> um, I've tried turning it off and on. It just don't like me. Wait, I'll try one last thing. Let's try switching my camera. To my HD Pro webcam, you'll see the cat for a second if it switches back. Do you see a video now? No, that's so strange. And now hmm. it's back to me. And now it's. What'd you say? I said now it's back to me. Um. All right. Well, you know what? If uh, if you see both of us, hopefully it's recording like that, and we'll just uh go with the flow there. Normally I see when I do on Skype at least the other person's face, you know? Well, we'll survive off of your beautiful. Oh, I see you now. There we go. (laughs) I do kind of see a cat in the background there. 
someone's having a good time. But anyway, <laughs> um, let us go into the top ten romances and movies and TV shows. Brittany, as always, you got us with the number ten. You're going to laugh at me. I always do, but it's okay. <laughs> that a beautiful spot for this number 10, and I'll put them there. Um, oh, uh, something about lambs and them being silent. No, and, uh, you are not putting yes, Hannibal and Clarice. Yes, oh, romance. <laughs> Hannibal, Hannibal and Clarice have a great relationship. Tell me, tell me that it's like their eight minutes, their eight minutes of being together was not the thing that pulled you through the entire movie. He shows up for like eight minutes and and he never treats her. He never treats her like less than a person. He never treats her. I feel like I'm in debate again. Like when I was in high school, I didn't do debate, but I had to debate. And okay, think about it. The moment they see each other, he helps her. He knows that the uh, main dude sent her like a lamb to the slaughter to him, and he doesn't treat her awful. He's basically like, no, I'm not going to tell you anything. I'm not saying it was like a consensual, like where she was like, yeah, I'm in love with him. But the relationship, the romance of it was beautiful. You're giving me that look. It's intimidating me. It's intimidating me. I need you to stop it. I need you to stop it. This is why Brittany and I don't do face-to-face podcasts. Okay, also the two actors together, by the way, are the whole reason that the second movie did not work. I can't remember who played Clarice. I know that's awful. But that, like the chemistry that Hannibal and Clarice have together is the same reason it doesn't go as well in the second movie. I think... Um, the one where they're, like, in Italy, because Clarice and Hannibal have this very, like, cat-and-mouse kind of relationship, and it is kind of, like, scary romantic. I'm not saying that it's a good romantic. I'm just saying that he does go out of his way to to help her, and he didn't have to help her. First, I want to apologize, by the way, if you see my boyfriend in the background mopping, it is early on a Sunday morning, and normally that is what he's doing when we do the top ten, we just don't have the camera on, so I do apologize about that, Um, and I also want to say that I should not be surprised at all that Brittany finds any sort of excuse to put Hannibal Lecter on. I'm being serious. What's bad is I'm being serious about it because I love their relationship. I'm not saying that Clarice, like, but Clarice is is kind of playful with him because it's kind of like they have this very, like, she's the only one that's going, like, toe-to-toe with them. And actually has a moment where she does outsmart him. And why does he believe her? Why does he give her the benefit of the doubt about, oh, oh, they'll send you to an island and do all this? Because he loves her. Like, the moment, like, when she comes there uh, after he, he's moved to that different cell. And he's like, Clarice, they'll talk. And she's just, like, giving him that look. I'm in love with it. I'm going to have different picks on it. But I love Clarice and Hannibal. You cannot tell me otherwise. 
So I mean, you can, but I won't believe you. <laughs> uh, so in the first movie, it was Jodie Foster who played Clarice, and in the second movie, oh. God, I forgot her name as well, but I know who you're talking about. Although I have to say that didn't wasn't there that scene where he like caught her hair in the refrigerator yes. and stuff like that? that? But that wasn't that wasn't with Jodie Foster. That wasn't with the original actress. I that know. was other actress. But see, okay, the reason I said between the two movies is that so, Silence of the Lamb was really good. I can't remember what the second one is called, where uh, she's hunting him in Italy, and there's the guy. Let's <laughs> look it up. But um, a lot of the reason it flopped is because they couldn't get Jodie Foster to do the uh, do the second movie. And I can't remember the reason. I don't know if she didn't like the script, or she didn't like the way that they took her, uh, took Clarice's, where they took her direction. Uh, but there is that moment where Hannibal does trap Clarice with her hair, and it's like he has the choice of either uh, chopping off her hand or chopping off his hand because you can hear the police coming. And he choose- And the next thing you see is his hand wrapped up or where his hand should be because he chose to chop off his hand, then hers, for the ultimate selfish man who thinks he's so good that people he finds beneath them he eats them because he sees them as only animal so you know what we can do a joint between the movies see i enjoy the second one i thought it was really good but a lot of people don't like the chemistry that they had between each other like uh uh sir anthony hopkins and uh and uh jodie foster but i it's just a, it doesn't have to be a good romance i guess you could say in the words of lady gaga um, I just want to say that the sequel was literally called Hannibal. It came out in 2001, and the person who replaced Jodie Foster was Julianne Moore. Um, I frankly liked the uh, scenes that you had sent me between Julianne Moore's Clarice and Hannibal. I, granted, haven't like watched the actual movie, but Brittany has sent me plenty of clips to watch, and I thought that they were pretty good. Um, no, I just like giving you a hard time. As I said, <laughs> you will always put them put Hannibal I on a list, and I love it. <laughs> I can't help it because I love them so much. And I think it's like, did you ever have a moment that um, when you're like trying to figure out as a kid, like, what is a good relationship? What's this? That like, there's definitely, there was characters that you're like, I shouldn't like them. They're an awful person. I, they're, they're just like, they, this is not a good relationship. But your body's like, you know what? I don't care. I like it anyways. <laughs> That's how I still feel about Hannibal. So he always ends up on my list. But you know, sometimes it's a meme when I put them. But this time I'm actually serious. I love Han. I love Hannibal and Clarice. I love them. I mean, listen, I felt very much that way about the Joker and Harley Quinn. Um, that's why I like loved Harley for so long. Was and I actually believe it or not, like I understand in the context of like a real life relationship that is terrible. Like never get. Yeah. 
relationship like the yeah. Jokers and Harleys, but, you know, just like how you enjoyed uh, Hannibal and Clarice watching them, it's like, I'm sorry, I loved all of their episodes on Batman the Animated Series. I loved all that. I loved the comics. So it's like, you know, you can't help it sometimes. I did, too. I, I was going to say, there, there's definitely other people that I'm like, God, I'm like, I shouldn't like them, but I do. <laughs> and, like, I think what I like about it is that with Hannibal being such, like, the dominant character that you think, like, oh, he's t- always too smart. He's always, like, five steps ahead. You know, he's always there. But with Cl- the reason that Clarice's boss ended up sending her was because he's like, oh, he won't expect you. You know, if I send you there with an agenda, you know, he'll 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 he would eat you alive. But having her innocent but not innocent at the same time was a good uh, point with it, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. And then you find out Clarice is maybe not quite as clever as Hannibal, but definitely could go toe-to-toe with them when it came to tricking him into getting the information she needed. Yeah. <laughs> she used her feminine wiles, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say this definitely, um, you know, like how amazing Anthony Hopkins is and how amazing Jodie Foster is is definitely reason as to why that, you know, relationship does work. And I think it's funny how you said that they, what, had like eight minutes of screen time with each other, but definitely is like, you know, probably the pull when it comes to that film as well as like what was most memorable. I know, I was good, because when I sit there and think of Silence of the Lamb, because the main story is between, you know, Clarice trying to find uh, Buffalo Bill and how he, you know, takes these women and takes their skin. And you would think, oh, that's definitely story enough for me. And then you find yourself so invested in Hannibal, like, mentoring Clarice. I think that's the thing I like about it, is that it was that very, like, um, mentor-student type relationship, which feeds into, like, every fantasy ever, so... <laughs> Leave me alone. I love it, Brittany. It's a wonderful way to start our top ten uh, romances and movies in movies and TV shows. I'll get number nine. Let me look at my actual freaking uh, list here. I'm <laughs> all right. So I, I, I guess I went in the more traditional route, but you know, <laughs> um, I am putting hot priest. And Fleabag. <laughs> I like how he still doesn't have a name. He's just a hot priest. Hot priest. Um, she doesn't have a name technically either. She was never once, like, referred to a name or anything. And, and I think they were, like, cheeky with that because any time there was, like, a moment where maybe a name would be revealed, it never was. So I think at some point someone was like, oh, you know, you're such a Fleabag or something like that. And the show is called Fleabag where it's like, okay, well, she's referred to as just Fleabag. Um, but for those who don't know, uh, Fleabag is a two-season comedy on Amazon Prime. I believe it may have originated on BBC or something, but starring and also developed by Phoebe Waller-Bridge. And she plays this main character who is very, uh, she's a bit of a mess the character in the first season um, and it's very easy to watch by the way like every episode is only like 20 minutes 30 minutes long and there's only like six episodes per season but um in the first season you see how she uh pretty much 
screws around, like screws anything that she can freaking get her hands on. Um, and, you know, is very much like an alcoholic and blah, 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 can't get her life together because she deals with the guilt of the death of her best friend, which she thinks that she is in part responsible for. Um, so by the second season, she's made this like... Uh, she made this pact with herself that she's not going to have promiscuous sex anymore. Um, you know, she's going to try to mend uh, relationships with her sister, blah, 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 blah. And among all of this, her father is getting married to a woman who she does not like. They've had problems. I think they even slapped each other at some point. But they're getting married. Um, and Andrew Scott, who some people may know as Moriarty from the BBC Sherlock show, is the priest that will wed her father and his wife. Um, but the thing is, is that Andrew Scott does not play your traditional Catholic priest. He is quite a drunk. He curses. He is very, he's very much a mess. Like if you watch him. (laughs) he's very much a mess but in the the show um hot priest as he's referred to and fleabag develop a friendship which is very ironic because fleabag is very much a skeptic when it comes to religion and uh, but they end up spending more and more time with each other feelings obviously start to emerge and at first the hot priest is very like uh you know apprehensive because he's a catholic priest you know catholic for those i guess who are not catholic who don't know uh this these are not reverends they are not priests in the catholic religion are not supposed to have relationships you know they're not supposed to have sex they're supposed to be you know chaste and all that right but it's clearly not gonna his it's not gonna happen like like that and my favorite thing is like they do truly love each other right there's at some point where they kiss they make out and the hot priest feels really bad about it and he leaves and then at another point he comes back to her apartment And he's trying to, like, tell her how, you know, he can't do this. He made this vow. And if he goes against it, like, pretty much he'll be, you know, it's to him it's not even, like, being disingenuous to God. It's being, like, disingenuous to himself. But the thing with Fleabag is that a common uh, structure in the show is that Fleabag will, like, look to the camera Like, she breaks the fourth wall, right? So the crazy thing is that the hot priest kind of, like, knows this. Like, if you watch it, right, like, no one else notices it. But when she, like, looks, he's like, where are you going, you know? So during this, like, conversation between the hot priest and Fleabag where he's, like, telling her all this, she keeps looking to the camera going, like, we're going to have sex. And he's like, stop leaving. Where are you going? He's like, (laughs) and then like, eventually he just looks at her and he's like, we're going to have sex, aren't we? And she's like, yeah. And and they do. And they have this like relationship and it's really cute and blah, blah, blah. And I'm sorry I'm rambling on and on. I just loved their like relationship. It was so super important. I feel like for Fleabag to have to feel like a genuine, like someone really caring for her and it not just be sex. Um, Ultimately, they didn't stay together because he reaffirmed that, you know, he's a priest and 
he doesn't want to not be a priest anymore. And if that's the case, then he can't have this, you know, relationship with her. And it's so sad because their, like, final, like, moment on the, like, a bench is her going, like, I love you. And he's like, it'll pass. And it's just like, oh, my God. So I loved them so much. Like, um, the first season of Fleabag is good, but the second season is just so much more spectacular just because of Andrew Scott being hot priest. So, Brittany, what do you think? I was going to say, well, I remember when you first started talking about it, it's like, so her name's just Fleabag? I was like, <laughs> so is that really what everybody just calls her? I was like, that's a little odd. And then I realized when we watched a few clips, I was like, oh, nobody has a name. Like, remember the misogynist? Yeah, only very few of them have a name. Like, Fleabag's sister has a name, and one or two other people have names, but very few of them actually have names in, in the show. I was going to say, I remember you, like, showing me the confessional scene, and I was like, oh, no, oh, no, in a good way. But I was sitting there, it's like, it is hard because you have someone so, like, dedicated to their faith, and and you have her. Like, isn't there something, she says something, and a picture falls off the wall, (laughs) and the the priest was like, a hot priest is like, he kind of almost is amused by it as he, like, picks it up, because he's like, oh, this non-believer. But, you know, and I thought maybe he would not like Fleabag for that reason but it doesn't even he says like what's the point of me even existing if I'm not supposed to be like you know with people like you well no that's what I'm saying like he likes that Fleabag kind of challenges him to him it's like oh you know he's questioned like it's good to question and that's what he likes about her like and I don't think that he ever truly tries to say like convert her I mean of course he like gives her a bible at some point but I think he like picks out like passages that he just likes and wants her to read but for the most part they just get drunk because at some point he like at some point they're in his like little like room or something and he's like oh do you want some tea and he's like you know what what time is it let's have some uh gin and tonics and he just like grabs these like cans of like pre-made gin and tonics from like above the like dresser where his like priest robes are and like gets it. it's just so funny their relationship is hilarious and it's almost like it's like a romance along with like a friendship because he's so amused by her right at yeah. some at some point in the show he takes her to this place where it's not like a specific faith sort of thing it's more of like a meditation but it's where you go and like people are sitting in this very silent room and it's like you're, um, what you calls it? You can be silent if you want, but if you have a thought, you are encouraged to kind of stand up and say it. So, like, at some point, some guy, like, says something, right? And Fleabag's just sitting there in the silence, and she just stands up, and she says something about, like, something about bras, and but her boobs aren't big enough to wear a bra for, so why she bothered buying bras or something? And he's so amused by that. Oh my god! So amused. I, I feel like I relate. Yeah. <laughs> freaking Fleabag. So it's like he's just so amused by her, so I think that like her being, say, a non-believer is like challenging for him and kind of like what he needs in that moment. It's almost like the opposites attract kind of thing. 
Yeah, exactly. And I think that like Fleabag at that point was like looking for guidance because at that point her and her sister didn't have a very good relationship with each other because her sister's husband, who is a complete dirtbag, he should have been called Fleabag, um, said that he like in the first season he tried to hit on Fleabag, but she of course like denied his advances. And then he lied to the sister saying that, oh, she tried to kiss me. Um, so that like caused a divide between Fleabag and her sister. And, um, at that point, the father thought that like Fleabag pretty much was just like not going anywhere in her life and not going to be successful. So I think that she really needed like that sort of like emotional guidance. Oh, that's really, really sweet. I kind of, I, it makes me want to watch it again. You know oh, my God, it's so good. It's so funny, too. Like, you know, British people have, like, such dry humor. And it's, like, sometimes us as Americans, like, you don't get it. And it's, like, a full-on understand that. But I feel like this show is, like, funny enough that, like, anyone can get it. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to say, like, because uh, I know it's, like, you say, like, British humor can be, like, so dry at times. Like, I remember I would try to watch this one show that's, like, one of the longest-running British television shows, and I was, like, <laughs> I, I, was, I was, like, I don't understand. I don't understand. That doesn't mean it's bad, because I don't understand, but I don't understand. But with this one, I was, like, okay, this is good. I like this. I, I, I it doesn't uh, pull any punches. It just kind of laughs at itself. Um, the, I forget what, there was a British show that Cindy really liked, and she tried to show it to me, and I felt the same way, where I was like, I don't get any of this. Oh, I felt that way with, like, the British version of The Office, which was, like, yes. the first And when I, like, first watched the American version of The Office and I watched, like, all the seasons and I was like, man, I still want to, like, live in this world. And I saw that the UK version was on Netflix and I was like, oh, let me try it out. And I was like, no wonder this only lasted two seasons. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah, so my number nine is going to be Hot Priest and Fleabag. Brittany, what is your number eight? Okay, this okay. wasn't originally on my list, and and I might choke this up a little bit because it is kind of last minute, but you got me thinking about the marvelous Mrs. Maisel and Lenny Bruce. <laughs> I got you thinking about them. Okay, so, you know, you have marvelous Mrs. Maisel, who, she just goes by Maisel, but I can't remember. No, that's her last name, technically, isn't it? Yeah, so she, um, her first name is Midge. Midge, you know, um, she's with her husband, you know, they're this beautiful Jewish family, and that's all a big running thing, and, uh, you know, I remember, like, even the wedding part with the rabbi, where it's taken this long to get back in his good graces, because she pulled a prank at the wedding. Oh, her prank was, her prank was that she said there was shrimp in the egg rolls, and um, traditional Jewish people don't eat shellfish, so of course it, like, got everyone in a tizzy, so it's taking years back into the rabbi's good graces. <laughs> oh, but it's like, you know, Mr. Maisel, he ends up uh, leaving uh, Mrs. Maisel, and uh, she has to deal with that because it's like, uh, 
I think she moves back in with her parents, and they're very wealthy. Her dad's a professor who's played by the guy that played Monk, which I didn't realize until the other day, and I was like, oh, man, he aged well. He I want to say so. I think he looks better in The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel than he ever did in Monk. I know. I was going to say, like, he he's very dapper. He looks very like a, a 1950s man, because I think it's the 50s or something like that. I can't remember. But uh, I'll, I'll skip ahead. Basically, she gets into doing stand-up. Uh, I think she's always been very humorous. She uh, was kind of raunchy. And, you know, that is hard at this point in time when women aren't expected that way. And even men can be arrested for doing stand-up if they push too far in the in the lewd variety um but uh ends up meeting the famous lenny bruce which we know as modern times is one of the greatest you know comedians of his time and our time and i i don't know what it is about them i think just uh does he bail her out first or does she bail him out first so the whole thing is really quick is that um the the night that Midge finds out that her husband is leaving her for another woman. She gets drunk and goes down to the little stand-up lounge that her husband was trying to have a career with and pretty much, like, uh, just kind of stumbled onto the stage, right? And she ends up getting arrested, but she sees Lenny Bruce in the cell, and she remembers Lenny Bruce from when um, she had seen her husband perform at some point. Lenny was there as well performing. So she bails him out. Because she's kind of like, all right, how does this whole comedian thing work? And then he ends up bailing her out once she gets arrested again. <laughs> I was just saying, because I think at some point she ends up like, does she get naked or something? Like She flashes her boobs. She's like, because she goes into this like whole thing because she's so drunk. And she's just like, she's like, uh, she's like, why would Joel leave this? I have two kids. I'm 25 and my tits still look great. And she's like, just, you know, uh, pretty much like, you know, puts her dressed down and that yeah so yeah she gets arrested for that yeah, I, mean, she, I, think, I was like was that what she got arrested for but i just love their relationship because it does start out off in another of those mentor slash student relationship what is okay i found out some things about myself okay. <laughs> I'll that part but i i don't even know exactly where to begin with and that's why i said this may take me a second because it was like last second but you inspired me with playback but it's like the, it's one of those relationships that starts at such a good friendship. Like they're like best friends, and it's like I feel like for Lenny, he doesn't get that a lot from other people. And you know, as we find out, you know, from the present, what I was talking about, you know, Lenny died of a drug overdose. You know, he had his own demons. But I love his relationship with Mitch because it's like they can go toe to toe together, and you can tell. You know, it's almost like that Frank Sinatra type of vibe from Lenny, where he's like, "Ah, oh, I'm the the Casanova that doesn't really." need a woman but sees this light off in the distance and is like oh but her you know she's really something swell she's special you know we'll always have Paris you know type of relationship and and I think it's kind of like it it feeds into kind of like those old uh, tropes, but I love it. It works so well with them because it's like Midge isn't this delicate little flower with this rough and tumble man. It's like she's just as raunchy as him, you know, and 
when uh, how supportive she was when you know he's ner- Lenny's nervous because it's gonna be his first time on television and you know he has to be careful with his mouth because you know and some of those jokes that he was saying stand up uh, won't quite fly on television but you know it's good to push uh, for more of like an- the decensoring of like comedy and you know he really pushed uh, the limits back in the day. And how he's so nervous because he's like, oh, I don't have anybody there. And he asked Midge to be there. And she just, like, she's so supportive. And that's the thing is, like, I don't know if they ever truly, truly get together. But it's like this this secret romance. It's like that secret option in a game that you're like, oh, my God, this could be a thing. Okay, I want it. I want it. It's better than the whole game. I am a huge fan of the show, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, right? So I can tell you everything. Um, but, <laughs> no, I, oh, God, I love their relationship with each other. So technically, no, they never get together. But they dance around that whole thing so hard. Like, so you have in the first season, right, where she is coming up to, because the thing is, like, you have to think about, right, 1950s. Um, women are just thought of that they have to be housewives and, you know, the good housewife. Like, in the show, when her husband leaves her because he's, you know, leaving her for another man, it's like, um, what Jimmy calls it, he, the whole family asks Midge, like, what did you do wrong? Like, you have to, you know, get her... Which is awful. It's like, and that's what they're like asking her for. It's like, you know, what did you do wrong? What can you do to, you know, get him back? Blah, blah, blah. But she's like, no, screw it. I'm on this like path to a better life and, you know, wanting to establish my own. She got married young. She had two kids. She has lived her entire life on like the Upper East Side or whatever in New York City. So it's like, you know, she's very sheltered. So she has this, like, mentorship. Well, Lenny is a mentor to her in this relationship, but she really tries to, like, gain all of the knowledge she can from him in the first season. And then, like, he shows back up in the second season, you know, blah, blah. The third season is when I was like, are they going to get together? Because they have been, like, they, like, have been, like, staring goo-goo eyes at each other this whole entire time. Like, even in the first season, probably, like, the second episode that they ever had an interaction, people were asking, like, oh, are you screwing Lenny Bruce? And it's like, because they just had that connection. And in in the third season, he only shows up for, like, one episode, right? And it's like, she's on tour. She is finally, like, hitting it big, blah, blah, blah. And whatchamacallit, he, like, sees her and they're at this like bar they decide to get drinks and there is like this scene where they're just like staring at each other across from like the tables just looking at each other and it's like she said something uh, they kind of like make a little like joke or something like he says like oh you have something on your dress or something but she didn't like you know whatever and she's like oh why don't you tell me and he looks at her and he's like I didn't know how to tell you and everyone interprets that as it's like he's saying it like I don't know how to tell you you know and there's at some point they're dancing with each other and she's like you know at this point I don't even have anything funny to say and he's like yeah me either and they're like it's kind of nice and they kind of just like 
dance silently and then like there's at some point where he walks her to her hotel and like the doors open and they're standing on either side of the door and they're both kind of like looking in and like looking at each other and i'm like uh-huh uh, I Go. <laughs> and then it's kind of like okay i'll be seeing you around and i was like no <laughs> and so like everyone's so worried right because they're like if you watch that scene lenny you know, we know, like, the real Lenny Bruce struggled with addiction in his life, so it's, like, um, a lot of people are worried, like, you saw him kind of, like, putting his coat over him. He, he looked like maybe they were trying to allude to some sort of, like, inner demon problems, you know, and maybe he was, like, reaching out to, like, Midge for, you know, emotional whatever. But the end of the season three ends in 1960. The real Lenny Bruce did not die until 1966. The show is not going to skip six years, okay? So there's still time. <laughs> there's still time. But then I'm like, I'm like, oh, can you, like, AU it? Can you, like, uh, retcon it? Or, like, can you just... Well, yeah, because the thing is, like, so, you know, with the show, like, Midge is not a real person. There was no such thing as, like, uh, of Mrs. Maisel, even though a lot of people, and even my mom was like, that's Joan Rivers' story. Like, I'll be like, no, it's not about Joan Rivers, mom. Like, it's about this female comedian who got left by her husband and starts stand-up, and she's, like, one of the first women in her field, and she was really raunchy, and my mom's like, yeah, Joan Rivers during the 1950s. So a lot of people think that, like, it's supposed to be, like, say, Joan Rivers, like, just loosely... Um, her sort of uh, story, but Lenny Bruce was a real life person. Uh, but you know, I'm like, it's a show. They've taken on this like relationship, which is obviously like the two actors. Uh, Luke Kirby plays Lenny, and Rachel Brosnahan or something plays Mid. She's so she's so funny. I crack up like I die laughing at any time she's on stage. It's so funny. I was gonna say, um, Luke Kirby is like I. It's crazy that he's just now like kind of popping up on the radar. But like, if you look at his filmography, he's been on like quite a few things that I didn't even realize. You know, like with Law and Order or Split. Not Split. The uh, the movie after Split, uh, Glass. I think was it called? Was that uh, the one that like? Not everyone really liked, right? Yeah. That's yeah. the hard thing about all those movies is nobody truly really likes them but they have the cult following they're kind of like a guilty pleasure kind of movie if that makes uh, sense yeah but uh but luke kirby being in uh law and order and then with uh marvelous mrs Maisel, and there's a few other things that i was like he was in this i, I, I like that him. little short that little short of him like <laughs> i like uh, the millions different ways to like kind of get that first date and he keeps like showing up like in different ways i can't remember what that's called i have to rewatch that that was funny but um i saw him in one of the halloween movies i forget if it was like halloween resurrection or like halloween h2o whichever one was uh they were in this like 
house that they claimed was like Michael Myers like childhood home but it was all like Buster Rhymes was in it. I don't know if you ever saw that one but it was like so early 2000s like Buster Rhymes and freaking Tyra Banks were in it it was so ridiculous it was like this thing where they were like oh spend a night in Michael Myers home and you know recorded and blah 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 and they had like all these different people who were like contest winners to like do it and Luke Kirby played an absolute sleaze bag in it. <laughs> and he had he like a teenager or, or does he play an adult? Because what is up with these grown ass men playing teenagers? No, he played like an adult, but he was like a sleaze bag. He had like a stupid line of like if you're left leg is Christmas and your right leg is Thanksgiving cannot visit you in between the holidays. <laughs> I just remember that. I remember that so much. So when I saw Luke Kirby in the Marvel- Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, it's like he doesn't really look the same. So when I looked at his filmography and I was like Halloween and I like Google search like Luke Kirby Halloween and looked at the images, I go, oh my God, it, that's the douchebag. <laughs> Like I guess it's like John Bernthal playing every like like tough bad guy, scary dude, and be like, isn't that the scary dude? How would you feel to be like, oh, he plays the sleaze bag, he plays the scary guy, he's the villain? I'd be like, I have been typecasted in real life. <laughs> well, I guess when you want you know money, you'll take anything. But listen, like Lenny Bruce is a good thing to have on your freaking filmography. I. Love Lenny Bruce and Midge. The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel has been renewed for a fourth season. When they'll get to actually film it, who the hell knows with everything that's going on. But I beg of you, uh, writers, producers, directors behind The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, I just need them to kiss. Like, I, at this point, I don't even need them to, like, do the dirty. Like, I would love for them to do that. But I just need them to kiss. Like, you need to stop, like, teasing me here, you know? I, I'm about to say, it's more than friendship at this point, unless this is a very intense friendship. It's a, well, that's the thing is that in season two, right, like after season two, they interviewed Luke Kirby and they were like asking about the relationship and he's like, oh, it's more of like a friendship, blah, blah, and I go, friends do not look the way you two looked at each other in season three. That's the same thing like when John Bernthal and Deborah Ann Wool were like, oh yeah, Frank Castle and Karen have a uh, a father-daughter relationship. And I was like, in That's what world? father-daughter in what relationship world? I've ever seen. And I'm going to say too, they're like close to the same age. <laughs> You're going to have a father-daughter relationship go off a Punisher season two. Not... Karen and Frank. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. But um, great uh, number eight pick. I'm going to hit number seven. Let me look at my list here. Uh, go by. What'd you say? Watch Lady go by. Oh, little lady, little lady. Little lady. <laughs> uh, what's wrong with me? I am going to do a couple from... A show that recently got canceled because everything that I love gets canceled, apparently. So, um, anyone who's watched Penny Dreadful City of Angels, it got canceled after one season, which I want to, like, 
hurt someone over that. I'm so upset. But in your face, your face. <laughs> I want to laugh at your pain, but I was like, I'll be nice. And so I'm like trying to suck it in. I'm like, this is painful. <laughs> um, so in the uh, Penny Dreadful City of Angels, you have this character, uh, Tiago, who is played by Daniel Zavato. He plays in the night. It takes place in the 1930s. He's the first um, uh, cop that is of uh, any sort of not white heritage. Uh, so, but he is uh, uh can't even talk. He's Mexican, and he's, like, the first, you know, Latino Mexican cop on the force. Obviously, you can probably tell that 1930s, that being the case, he gets a lot of shit by people. But he ends up meeting this character called Molly, who is played by Carrie Beach. I don't know how to say her last name. I'm going to assume that that's how you pronounce it. Um, but she plays like this evangelicalist on the radio. So you think like, oh, she's super like religious, you know, blah, blah, blah. But the thing is, is that she is really like this product crafted by like, say, her mother um, to pretty much like get them, say, money. Like she's very popular. She gets like, TV, not TV ads, like radio ads and everything. She has like, you know, audience members who come and pay and blah, 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 right? So, but the thing is, is that Molly really doesn't want to like be like that. She just wants to be, say, like a normal person, right? And at some point, Molly and Tiago have to end up working with each other because um, Tiago is investigating the death of someone who was a former congregant of Molly's. Um, and they just end up with this, like, so, like, lovely relationship because, like, both of them are, like, pretty much in between a rock and a hard place, right? Like, Tiago is dealing with the fact that he's, you know, the first, like, Mexican cop and all these, like, racist, like, white cops who dislike him. But then also a lot of his, like, family feels that he's betraying them because he's a cop and, you know, the cops are giving you know, their community such a hard time. And then on the flip side, you have Molly who like just wants to be a normal person, but she can't even have relationships because her mother is like, so like, what are you doing? I'll, well, I'll have this person follow you, you know, blah, blah. And she has to like go, she has to like go and like, you know, wear a hat and sunglasses and a disguise to even get out of the house and all that. And, her, you find out at some point that, I guess, spoiler alert, like, this is how crazy her mother is, right? Um, her, The guy that they're investigating the death, who is one of Molly's congregants, you find out that Molly was in a secretive romantic relationship with that guy, and the mother had found out, and because, you know, she couldn't have her daughter distracted by anything, had the guy killed, so it's like things are very hard for Molly and Tiago and Molly have this relationship where it's like they find comfort within each other. And it's not always like easy, right? Because, you know, when Tiago finds out about her, you know, having been in a romantic relationship with the person, the death that he's investigating, he's like, why'd you hold that for me? Are you just using me? You know, blah, blah, blah. You know, this guy was a married man, you know, blah, 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 stuff like that, you know? And then they, like, they definitely have hardships where it's like, you know, she 
grew up um, and they've been quite, you know, successful because of Molly being this evangelicalist. So they live very well, whereas Tiago's family still lives in, you know, a poor neighborhood. So it's like they deal with things, but it's like they find, like, the love within the lines and stuff. Is there a cat there? (laughs) 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 I came over, and I'm, like, trying to not look any which way, and I was like, his tail's about to pop up. He's literally laying in my lap right now. He literally came over here to cuddle. Um, I was going to say that is hard, and that is sad, because it's like, it's kind of like, um, oh, you know the song Uptown Girl? Like, it's like, it's like she is living in that shelter world, and you would think, oh, well, you know, she's so much better off because, you know, she was born wealthy. You know, she hasn't wanted for anything. But showing that, you know, there is that controlling aspect and that that wealth did not come without a bunch of sacrifices to, like, her, you know, her privacy to her mom. You know, like, basically ruining every relationship, to her, treating her like the Virgin Mary, you know, that it's like she has to put on a show. Well, with uh, Tiago, it's like, you know, he he's dealing with racism. He's dealing with, you know, his family kind of going against him. And it's like, I guess it's like, you can be from two different walks of life, but has, you know, kind of be jointed through that struggle. And it's like, it is very like, uh, no, like I'm trying to think of, Oh, what, what is that movie or like the book or, you know, the story written about Romeo and Juliet, but it's like the, uh, West Side Story. Yeah, yes, West Side Story. Very West Side Story. <laughs> yeah, they definitely deal with their like level of hardships because at some point, uh, Tiago, like Tiago, has a younger sister who unfortunately gets um, sexually harassed by one of the police officers, and she looks towards Sister Molly for. Uh, guidance and she ends up joining uh, Sister Molly's church right and so, and the thing is that like Sister Molly does in general like want to help people like she sees like Tiago's sister and at this point doesn't know that that's Tiago's sister and like brings her in and like wants to help her she generally like wants to help people like you see at some point that she does dishes with like the wait staff and the mother's like oh why are you back here you know why are you doing dishes and she's like isn't this you know like what jesus would do like you know hang out with the poor like not you know the fancy frou-frou people so um but there's at some point where that happens with the sister and tiago's mother is really upset because tiago's mother is like you know a devout uh catholic where she's like you know why are you going to that church you know that's a false church pretty much and so when the mother finds out that tiago is dating molly she is all pissed you know and blah blah blah, you know but so it's like all these things and although i will say tiago's mother like comes to accept it because tiago like this is towards the end of the season like tiago puts his foot down he's like this is the woman i love you're the family that i love and if you can't deal with it well then i'm sorry like you know it is what it is um but um i love their love it was so beautiful it was so tragic at the end because spoiler alert uh molly's mother finds out about the relationship and pretty much says like oh well it would be a shame if what happened to if what happened to uh 
you know, that guy happens to Detective Tiago, you know, I'd hate for that to happen. And pretty much the mother saying, you're my daughter, like, you're my daughter, like, I will never, ever, like, stop, you know, pretty much trying to protect you is what she says. And Molly just being very, um, I guess, depressed at this point, uh, ends up killing herself. And I'm like, no, no. So it's very sad. It's very sad and it's very uh, traumatic. But Tia! for the short time, for the short time, Tiago and Molly made each other happy. That was so much more depressing than I thought it was gonna be. I'm so glad Toby's laying on my lap to absorb all the sad vibes. <laughs> me, Jesus. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. By the way, when I heard the uh, the sirens earlier, I was like, maybe I'll get to see Tia get arrested IRL, like live as it's happening, because we always joke about it. Well, um, I don't know if you had heard about this or saw my Twitter, but the other day there was a shooting literally on my block. So that was fun with all of the uh, police and the sirens and the helicopters. Jesus. Well, like, be safe. Golly. Oh, yeah, no, I mean, it was, like, someone who um, was from Nurshell, so they weren't from Yonkers, they were from Nurshell, um, like, uh, you know, he had, like, prior gun con- uh, con- yeah, gun convictions, and so when a cop tried to, like, pull him over, I guess, for having, like, unregistered plates or whatever, he, like, got out of his car and freaking ran down the block, and the officers were running down the block, and as they were, like, tackling him is when he was, like, but no one got hurt, so just saying. Oh, oh you're like that's a shooting, but you're like, oh, but nobody's hurt. I mean, that's a heck of a that's a plot twist. Right? Hell yeah! <laughs> 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 oh, right, that God. was so off topic, but yeah, Molly and Tiago definitely are my number seven. I loved them, and they deserved more. But uh, Brittany, what is your number six? I think I'm going to go with uh, Maggie and Forrest from Lawless. Oh, yeah. It's like, so Lawless is about, you know, three brothers. They're uh, they're bootleggers. Uh, I don't remember what state they're from, but they're definitely from the south. Uh, I can't remember. I feel like it's Virginia or something. Why not always see Virginia as south, but it's more northern? Is it, that weird? We don't claim it as the North, all right? That's the Southern state. I was going to say, because, like, the whole time they speak real Southern, it's very country, but they do deal with uh, Chicago. Uh, so that's where I'm like, hmm, okay. So maybe it was Virginia, and they are no, no, more known for moonshine. But basically, they uh, they make moonshine. It's during the Prohibition, uh, so it's very illegal what they're doing. But the three brothers... Uh, that's how they're making their money is, you know, it's in Virginia, by the way. Okay. I thought, it swore, I thought it was more Southern, but it's like Virginia. I was just see like, because you think of, uh, oh, the song, oh, I can't remember the name now, but it's like Sweet Virginia. Yeah, that's a freaking Southern song. That's a country song about a country-ass state. <laughs> I, I know I'm just 
sitting here go having like a moment here. So okay. Either way, um having uh during the prohibition, uh they end up getting a de- I think his name is like Detective Rakes. I oh, think Charlie Rakes, yeah. Yes, Charlie Rakes ends up coming. He's trying to put a shutdown to it, but it turns out, you know, he's a corrupt cop. He's wanting money from it. He's because it's Chicago during the prohibition. What do you expect? And you know, he's a scary dude. He's very germaphobic. There's a girl. I think he ends up like uh, getting a girl, and he makes her sit on newspapers on his bed, like naked, yeah. like that. Like, like he's very creepy. But uh, Maggie ends up. Coming Coming into town, which I don't know originally why she came here. I think she has kind of like a tattered past herself. Well, because but, I think she was like a dancer in Chicago, and pretty much she felt unsafe there. So she was probably going to like the most hillbilly ass state she thought ever. that would be for her. Well, she ends up uh, going to the brothers. She ends up getting a job waitressing. But the thing is funny is Howard and Shia LaBeouf's character, I can't remember his name, are, like, falling down on their knees for her because she's so beautiful. You know, they're, like, very enforced. just like, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) I feel like if the subtitles uh, for uh, Force should have just been, like, grunts, grumbles instead of (laughs) any word. (laughs) But, um... And it kind of, like, does, like, this kind of, like, flash where it's, like, Forrest warming up to her because he really won't, like, talk to her at first. And um, he will always put his hat on the table and she doesn't like it because, you know, it's not proper. She'll take his hat and, like, I don't know if she puts it in the chair or something. He will always, like, reach over and put it back on the table and she's, like, (laughs) taking it off. But it's, like. She's so much more, like, lively, and you can tell, like, she has a lot of life left to live. You know, she's very kind, but she's beautiful, and for sure, all grumbly, and, you know, it wants to be a hard-ass about it, and... <laughs> But it's, like, them warming up to each other. I think, doesn't she finally get forced to dance with her? Mm-hmm. Like... Yeah, after, like, Howard will dance with her, Shia LaBeouf's character will dance with her, and he just is so, like, off-put, but it's, like, he takes things incredibly slow and when i say slow i mean like snail pace if their um romance was like a tag on archive of our own it'd be like very slow burn Uh, yeah right right and so you know it's all good and well that ends up uh I, i think they end up having some of like Charlie Rake's men, I think I think that's who they were. I think they were his men. They end up coming there, and they're causing trouble. And, you know, because I think they, like, run a restaurant and because uh, they have, like, a gas station because people will fill up gas there. And uh, I know it's self-explanatory there. Um, end up causing <laughs> trouble. Uh, Forrest ends up throwing these guys out because they're causing trouble. Well, when Forrest goes to leave, he ends up getting his throat slit by these men and left to die on the floor, and it starts snowing. Well, Maggie, feeling like something was wrong, turns back around and uh, ends up, like, I think she's, like, calling for Forrest because she doesn't see him outside because I think he's, like, on the ground and ends up getting raped by these men. And it's like, uh, even after that, and you find this out later, because everybody's like, Forrest must have brought himself back, you know. But even after getting raped, Maggie gets out, finds his body, takes him to the doctor, 
And you see at some point, like, Maggie's, like, brushing her hair, and she, like, looks, and there's, like, bruises on her body, and it's, like, really awful. And there's a moment where um, Maggie ends up admitting what happened because she's, like, doesn't want Forrest to do something. She's, like, what, you're believing your own stories now? You think you're the one that drug yourself back? Oh. Well, I drug you back. And he said you came back, and he, like, realizing that the men were still there after slitting his hand, so he's, like, piecing it together, and... I think, like, she says, like, don't make me say it or something, and, like, he's, like, instantly, like, like, and, and at first you're, like, all oh, for Forrest care about Maggie, but, you know, you can tell in his own little way, he ends up, like, so, like, mad, he ends up castrating the guys, like, him and Howard end up castrating, and I don't remember if they murder them, but they end up sending the wrapped up balls, like, in newspaper to Charlie Rakes as, like, a warning, but it's, like, he definitely took care of it, but they, um, they, you know, it is a happy ending. They end up having kids and stuff, and um, like, it did, it, wait, they did have kids, right? Or did they? Okay, they did. And it's like he's still grunting and grumbly, but his wife Maggie loves him. It's just, I don't know. It's just sweet. It's like goofy how sweet I find it, but I love it. So I did want to correct you just for a second that. Um, Howard and Forrest cut those guys' balls off just for the simple fact that they were the ones who ended up slitting Forrest's throat. Forrest doesn't end up finding out about Maggie until they're getting prepared to have the final battle against Charlie Drake. And and she's pretty much just like, don't go, don't put yourself, like, we just got you back, essentially. And it leads yeah. into her saying, like, oh, look at you following your own stories, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, wait, you were there that night? And, you know, like, um, but no, I, oh, God, that scene, like, with Forrest on the floor, like, just trying to keep his freaking neck together and Maggie coming back. Oh, my God. I loved it, though, when she, like, just freaking, like, doesn't she, like, at some point, because she, she's living with them, right? Because they're, like, providing her, you know, a room as long as she works. And she, like, pretty much just, like, goes in there butt naked. And she's like, Forrest, how long are we going to just be giving these looks to each other? And he's like, oh, Maggie, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I remember because he's always leaving his door cracked. And yeah. And they, like, look at each other as they're going to bed, and they both go their separate ways every time. And, like, exactly. you think I would, like, have every scene memorized from how many- <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, didn't you, like, watch that? It's been like, a while. They took it off of Netflix. They took it off of Netflix. It's been off of Netflix for a while, unless they put it back on. No, I know. Keep talking for a second. Because now I'm curious about, do you have it on DVD? I swear to goodness. Yes, I do. I just now I'm like looking for it. I'm like, where'd my lawless uh, thing go? That's what I was like, keep talking for a second. She's going to end up watching it after this podcast. She's like, she's going to have to like remember all that Forrest and Maggie goodness. But I do love that she ends up like being the initiator, but he definitely did. I really get spooked at first because he keeps a pistol underneath his pillow. And at first he goes for the gun. Then he's like, oh, shit, it's naked Maggie. (laughs) (laughs) It's just naked Maggie uh, just calling out and being all naked and shit. You're going to have to alphabetize your movies now. 
yeah, like, where the hell is my freaking lawless thing? It's going to drive me nuts, because I just saw it, like, not too long ago. This is insane. Oh, wait! There we go. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> now i got to watch. I like how they try to center it on Shia LaBeouf's character, but nobody, like, cares about him. In the I movie. know. If you look at it, it definitely is, like, their Shia LaBeouf, like, you know, his character's, like, bigger, he's more in the forefront. You know why? Because at the time, even though we consider, like, Tom Hardy one of the biggest actors to stay, Jessica Chastain is one of the biggest actresses, at this time, Shia LaBeouf was the more famous one out of all of them, you know, because he had done those Transformers movies. No one had really heard about Tom Hardy previous, because at this point, even though I think he filmed The Dark Knight Rises beforehand, Lawless came out before The Dark Knight Rises. So it was like, everyone was like, who the hell is this guy? And then this was like, this was Jessica Chastain's like breakout role, really. So it's like, no one really knew who they were. And yet, and yet, now where we are. <laughs> you know, there's a little background for you, but oh, Brittany, I love you putting Maggie and Forrest down. They 100% deserve to be on this list. Like, no one else deserves to be on this list. I need list. to ask you a question, though. Wait, I know what it is. I know what it is. Go ahead. Go ahead. Ever met Howard? <laughs> I don't know why I would always make her laugh because he's just sitting there on the porch. And, and that cop was nice. He's like, hey, you know, we need to talk, you know, blah, blah. And then he's like, have you met Howard? And Howard just, like, powerhouses through the house. He's like, he, he's, like, coming out there with, like, big dick energy, just, like, stomping through the house. I have to say really quick that, speaking of Howard, so the actor who plays him is Jason Clark right and i like i've seen him here and there in things but i really feel like lawless was like kind of the last like movie that he really played to me at least a memorable character um but he is in this movie that just came out a couple of weeks ago on netflix called the devil all the time and he plays such a freaking lunatic like such a, I, I think i told you about his character where he plays this guy who like he likes to photograph men uh having sex with his girlfriend and then he kills them like he gets off on it like he like got this girlfriend and they'll pretty much be driving around because it's like during like the 19 like 60s or something and they'll be driving around and they'll get like hitchhikers and they'll be like oh where are you going they're like oh you want to stop off at the side of the road have a picnic and like every guy they get is like the most gullible dude they're like oh sure and they like sit and he his character will be like oh i'm a photographer i just want to take some pictures you know and then they'll like convince and then they like he kills them it's crazy I'm not okay. I don't like it. <laughs> but yeah, he plays a he plays like a real psychotic killer. Ooh, I'm not. That, like that's what gets me. It's like especially with watching like a lot of like serial killer stuff lately. And like because I went over to my parents and I don't have cable, but they do. And my mom, like that's the whole reason I've been terrified of like being home alone for like ever is because they would always watch scary stuff. And it's crazy because I'm sure like that's not too far off the mark of like someone out there that's actually done those things. And I think that's like when you have something that realistic, it's like 
No, but I do recommend watching that movie, The Devil, all the time, just because Tom Holland is in it, and he's like, re- actually, it has a great cast. You have Tom Holland, Jason Clark, you have Bill Skarsgård, and Robert Pattinson, and they all are really good in it, and at some point, Jason Clark's character gets Tom Holland's character in his car. I won't say anything else, but anyway. Girlfriend? Uh, <laughs> what did you say? I said, does he have sex with the guy's girlfriend? No. No, he does not. <laughs> but that was the intention. Um, But I love Maggie and Forrest. Definitely deserves to be on this list. I will get the next one here. Uh, and... I, I'm I'm sorry if this was on your list. I really am, but I, I'm going to put it down. And it's going to be Captain America and Peggy. Was that on your list? Or no, no it's not. You're good. Okay, okay. I, I was afraid. But, I mean, how could you not, like, pretty much talk about, like, the MVP relationship in the MCU? Now, I know that people would be like, no, that's Tony Stark and Pepper. Yeah, I don't really care. Um, (laughs) to me, it was all about Peggy and Steve Rogers. I mean, from, I went back not too long ago, when I say not too long ago, probably a few months ago, but it had been a while since I've watched, like, the first Captain America movie, right? And I went back and watched it, and I'm like, oh, I love his, like, relationship with Peggy, you know, how much he liked her and all of that. Like, there, it was just so good, you know, like, just the start of their relationship, pretty much. And it was so tragic that it's, like, it, just as they were getting ready to, like, you know, think about what's going to happen after the war, he, you know, ends up going into the ice. And, it, like, to me, it's so sad still to watch, like, that they were talking to each other and talking about how, like, Steve is going to have to put it in the ice and them knowing that that means that they're not going to see each other ever again. But then talking about, like, all right, well, make sure you're at this place. We're going to have our dance, you know. And she's like, don't you dare be late. And I'm like... <laughs> years too late (laughs) and so you know we see that i think he was in the ice what 70 years they said or something yeah 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. um but we see throughout the mcu like he always holds a candle for peggy um in freaking Age of Ultron, we see him, you know, he has that, sorry, ladies, parking at the door. Oh, get it, get it. Wait, lady, come here. Um, but <laughs> we see, um, freaking, what you call, oh, apparently there's someone really at the door. I apologize, everyone. This is what happens in, uh, in this world right now, but, um, we see in Age of Ultron when Wanda does, like, her, whatchamacallit, it, you know, she, like, what does she do? She, like, brainwashes them, right? And frickin' Captain America has a vision of Peggy. She's like, oh, are you ready for that dance yet, you know? And then in frickin' um, Endgame, we see him even looking at, like, Peggy's picture, right? Um, and then in frickin' Captain America Civil War, so sad um, that Peggy dies. But I love the scene, and I don't know if you remember, 
in Captain America. No, it was Captain America. I'm getting them confused. In Captain America, the Winter Soldier, when she's old and he goes to her bedside to talk to her. And it's like, it's crazy because she thought like Peggy had died. And it's like, you know, that Cap would never get to talk to her. And it's like how like hard that must have been that it's like, you know, he looks exactly the same and she's elderly and obviously has like dementia or something and he goes anyway to like visit her because it's like that's how much he still like cared about her at this point i like some people can say that they had a problem with the fact that they made cap go back in time and you know it was time for him to move on blah 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 blah. i loved that he went back i'm like he never stopped loving peggy and he saw an opportunity that listen we saved the world and it's time for me to, like, have the life that I always wanted to have. I love him and Peggy. I love that, like, you know, she's this very strong, independent woman. You have to think, like, of who Peggy is. Like, not only was she a badass fighter, but she pretty much was, like, the creator of S.H.I.E.L.D. And it's like, that was one badass lady. She was one strong lady, important to the history in the MCU. And she loved Steve, and he loved her. And I'm sorry, Peggy and Cap, like, anyone who thinks that their ending wasn't good in Endgame can suck it. (laughs) I'm going to say, like, uh, with... She never married, did she? No, she... I think she did. She did marry... Yes, because remember in... Captain America the Winter Soldier when they do like a footage scene of her where she was like being interviewed like in the 70s or something and she was talking about Captain America and she said that like oh you know starting S.H.I.E.L.D. is what led her to meet her husband and stuff like that but I think that he had died at some point because you remember they had a show um like Agent Carter which I unfortunately never checked out and I think it got cancelled after like two or three seasons, but um, I think she definitely did remarry. Or not remarry, she got married. (laughs) Well, the reason I thought about it is because they make a point that with uh, Agent Carter, like the, I can't remember her name, the the one that kisses Captain America. (laughs) Sharon! (laughs) But they make it a point that that's like her great aunt, but not related. Because I would feel bad if, like, he went back in the past and he was like, I got rid of that whole family line. I got rid of every single one of them. He's going to be, like, 70, like, or, like, in the current time, he's, like, what, like, 90? You know, oh. he came back, he'd be like, like, being like, oh, I kissed that girl and, like, seeing her run around be like, oh, I kind of. No, there was, oh, oh, my God, it was so funny. Kanan posted on the Geek Vibes uh, Twitter account. Someone had did, like, a one-minute, like, scene where they were, like, pretending to be Steve Rogers, and it was, like, you know, how life was life for Steve going back in the past, and you see, like, you know, Peggy and Steve are sitting there in bed, and she's just, like, oh, look, my sister had a baby. Look at the pictures, and she's so cute. They named her Sharon, and him just, like, no, no, no. Can we hear that? It would be like, and then it was like Peggy being like, "Oh, you know, 
Um, I have a feeling that something's going on with S.H.I.E.L.D., but I can't put my finger on it. And Steve's, like, eating, and he's, like, trying not to say anything. And she's like, Steve, do you have anything to say? I mean, is there anything that you know from the future? He's like, nope, nope, not at all. I have no idea what happened with S.H.I.E.L.D. (laughs) I'm just how they're going to do, like, the timeline. Because, you know, at this point, that means that we could have uh, Captain America have grandchildren or even children that may have the formula still in them in some way. Wouldn't that be interesting? It's like, does it get transferred from one person to the other? I know. I I want to know because it's like, uh, you know, with us saying like the, the kids of like, um, Oh, Hawkeye's daughter, you know, coming into her own or you see uh, Ant-Man's daughter right it's older now and you see like it's like it does open up the opportunity but i if it did happen it would have to be i think his grandchild or his great-grandchild yeah at that point i mean 1940 to now 2020 that would definitely have to be like a great-grandchild if not a great-great-grandchild i'm sitting there i'm like if he has a kid in the 40s, grow up, uh, 60s, yeah, it would have to be, like, a great-grandchild, especially for them to be, like, a great-great-grandchild, especially for them to be young enough to be approved for Marvel distri- distribution. <laughs> um, really quick, I just, Brittany keeps talking, I just have to grab my computer charger just because I'm realizing that I'm getting low and I don't want my computer to crap out. <laughs> Now I'm imagining Tia's computer going doo-doo-doo-doo, and I'm like, okay, I'll sit here and amuse you for the next bit. Um, well, you see, uh, I don't have a cool, uh, like, um, what is it? What, what would you call it? Because cl- I know you said the coldest water bottle, but I almost want to call it a thermos at that point. <laughs> uh, sorry, I do have the coldest water bottle. It's red, which, you know, red's the best color, so, you know. Ah! <laughs> I love this your um your movies. Sorry everyone. I am normally actually I'm always this much of a mess. It's just you guys don't see it cuz we oh, do the audio. Yes. <laughs> I don't see yeah, I said uh I said we have to be so much more prepared. I said I can't laugh it off like I do when I when I fuck up something like yeah, over just audio. Now I got to be like, oh god, let me uh, let me be super prepared. No, I told my mom I was like, my brand is being a hot mess. Apparently, was <laughs> so like, screw it. <laughs> but um, yes, I think that Captain America and Peggy are definitely an OTP and deserve to be on this list. Brittany, what is your number four? I'm gonna. I feel like these names are gonna repeat in a minute because okay, I have Frank and Adele from Labor Day. Oh, I was like Adele. Oh my god, I love that movie. I know. I love Josh Brolin too. So I was like, hmm. So the story of Labor Day is uh, there's an escaped convict. Uh, well, let me start. There's a boy and his mother. Uh, the mother's name is Adele. I can't remember the boy's name. And uh, it is Labor Day weekend, which is explaining the long weekend. And uh, they end up 
having a convict that ran away from prison, they kind of hear about it, that ends up uh, using their home as a hideout for a while, and he ends up, uh, you know, tying up the mom, and you think, oh, it's really scary, you know, this is, like, not going to turn into a romance, but you find out that, you know, the man's name is Frank, and he, uh, he well, in the past, he had a wife that he loved, and, uh, they had a very young child, although I think I can't remember what the wife was doing. I think she wanted to run off because she was cheating and she was going to parties and she was hanging out with this guy and he gets frustrated and I think he pushes her, which isn't great in the whole thing. But, you know, he's upset because she's cheating and all this and he ends up pushing her and she accidentally hits her head and it kills her. But the mom was really an absent mother, and I think she had fixed up, like, the water for her baby, and he starts hearing the water overflow, and it's because the baby, his child, uh, was in the tub, and so he ends up losing his wife and losing his infant all in one run, all in one go. And so uh, he ends up going to prison for a very long time for it. I think he ends up, he was probably supposed to be there for life or or. Uh, not for life, but quite a long time because it's, you know, he's definitely not a young man anymore. Well, Adele is a very nervous, kind of neurotic mother. I think, like, her, she can't hardly leave the house because she has, like, an anxiety disorder. She has to send her son to go, and, you know, I think, like, the neighbors are kind of, like, understanding, but it's not like that she's, like, a laughing stock, but it, it is kind of like, oh, you know, the, the, the anxious lady, the neurotic lady, and, well, she, um, um, in, sorry, it just cut in, um, and I could hear myself on your end for a second, so if I stutter, that's why. I was like, <laughs> my voice. But, uh, you know, um, so she ends up not showing up, and that's a good reason why a lot of people don't raise a lot of awareness that they haven't seen the mother, because uh, Frank is kind of keep bringing her inside. And it sounds scary. I always have to tell people, I'm like, it's definitely not like, like, oh, you know, well, he kidnapped her, you know, this is a great relationship. It's like, no, it's just that um, Frank always wanted a family, and it was kind of a series of unfortunate events, you know, took it all away from him. And that's why it's hard, because it's like, he becomes very fatherly with the boy who never had a father. Uh, I think his dad left, and, yeah. you know, there's a point where they're making a pie, and Frank is, like, showing them how, and, like, and like, even the boy says this, like, my mom's hands always shook and she couldn't do these things. But in that second, like, her hands didn't shake. And it's like, you know, it's them falling in love with each other and the boy's starting to realize it. But um, the cops are finding out that Frank is there and uh, they end up do catch, they catch Frank. Like, I think they were going to run off together, like him and the mom, and they were going to, like, get, like, the, the, all, the, draw all the money out of the account and I think at the last second, they end up getting caught, and Frank, you know, ties up the boy and his mom to be like, oh, yeah, you know, I did this so that they weren't, like, accomplices, because at that point, willing or unwilling, you know, they would have gotten in trouble. Got in trouble, or, yeah. yeah, yeah, but, you know. And so you think, oh, that's the end, and the boy is grown up. I think he has, like, his own, I think it's, like, a pie shop he has or something like that. Like, yeah. Like, having, like, a because you know and all those moments was frank really meant a lot to him 
And uh, Frank ends up writing him saying, you know, I'm a, it's, and so it's years later where the boy's not a boy anymore. He's a grown adult. And I think he, he has his own family and uh, he ends up, Frank reaches out to him and says, I'm about to get out. Do you think your mom will want anything to do with me? You know, and it turns out the mom's still held a flame from this entire time. And at the end, they're elderly and like they're older but they still love each other the same and it's like oh and they still run off together but now it can be legal because he's not on the run because he didn't want his, their family to be on the run forever too and it's just oh so sweet so beautiful <laughs> i think i showed you labor day right yes, because you know i was so excited about um i was so excited about um Josh Brolin because I loved him as Thanos and I loved him as Cable and I was wanting more material and I was like golly I really like this actor and you're like I got something you girl <laughs> I got you fam um the thing is like with Labor Day is that it could have easily been a horror movie right like oh, it's yeah, oh, yeah. horror um, and by the way, no, Brittany, not still. You're good. <laughs> uh, I just got your message. Um, but what you call it? It could have been a, like a total horror movie. But it's like Frank wasn't a bad guy. He just, as you said, like had a series of unfortunate events. And I forget the reason why he really wanted to escape prison because I think it was one of those things that he was like okay with doing his time. Um, and because he like felt you know obviously his he didn't mean for his wife to die he was obviously heartbroken by his child dying and i forget what was the reason why he necessarily wanted to escape because there was say a reason because i think that he was supposed to act even though i think he was serving like 25 years i think he was supposed to be getting out soon there was some reason as to why he escaped right um and i'm not going to look it up just yet but um, what you calls it? Uh, bu- bu- bu. Oh, I think also the thing with Adele is that she was having miscarriages, and that's why her husband had left her. And I think that's why she was like a very like nervous person, you know. But it was so oh god, like Frank and Adele's relationship. Like he made her feel good. He made her like feel like you know confident. Like why you know you're not a weak woman like you know don't think that about yourself because i think her ex-husband still like when he was like coming around would be like oh you you know like belittling her and frank's like you know you're stronger than you think you are you know and he would i loved him like helping her bake pies and how you know because he was like this big burly man it's like what's this big burly man doing making pies you know and um i think the whole thing was that Adele was so willing because she wanted to, like, run off. She found this man that she really, truly loved. And I think that someone, somehow the son felt like they were going to leave him, even though that was never the intention. Like, Frank didn't want them to leave him behind. But the son at some point got in his head that they were going to leave and start, like, their new life and their new family. And I think the son helped facilitate the Frank getting caught but instead of like Frank being mad I think Frank just understood and I loved him like tying them up to be like okay this way they don't think that you guys had any sort of like business with me or anything like them thinking that I completely 
like force this upon you guys and i just loved how the son like ends up doing a pie shop because of all that he you know learned from frank and frank writing to him years later to be like is it okay if i contact your mom and i was like i love this i didn't come here for this level of sap i know this good so okay um, and I could be totally making this up. I'm trying to remember if I'm remembering correctly. I think the reason they get cut is because I think he wrote a letter for his dad or, like, yeah. wrote a letter to someone to say goodbye, but it ended up, like, the, I think the mail got delivered too quick or, like, the dad got it too quick and they didn't get out of there enough and that was, like, what happened. Yeah, it was something along those lines. It it pretty much was the kid's fault where you're like, you asshole, but... I guess at least in this way, like, they wouldn't have to be on the run, you know, at least now all those years later, it's, like, legal, they can be together, and at least they're spending their golden years with each other. New son, new son, I love it. <laughs> I did not expect you to put Frank and Adele down. I love this movie as sappy as it is. I am not typically any sort of fan of sap, but this movie, I don't know, when I rewatched it, because I saw it in the theaters, believe it or not, like um, years ago when the trailer was released, I was like, oh, this looks good, just because I thought Josh Brolin looked so good in it. And I was like, hey, Cindy, you want to see this movie with me? And I think we walked away liking it. Like, I liked it at least. But um, then when I rewatched it with you, I was like, yeah, I still like it. It's still good. It gave a newfound appreciation for it. And I thought it was going to be, like, very chick flicky. You know, like, yeah. very, like, in the notebook. You know, like, oh, this worn man with this delicate woman. And I'm like, Ugh. And then I was like, oh, no, it's Josh Brolin. That's fine. <laughs> if Josh Brolin's in it, it's good. It's good. I, I love the beginning scene of that because they're in, like, a Walmart pretty much. And he's just like, keep going. I'm just going to walk with you or something like that. Because I think, like, the son is in the Walmart where the mom is, like, in the car. So there's I forget... Uh, yeah, but, but pretty much like Josh Brolin, like strong arms, the sun at first. And you, you do think like, oh, God, like, the, as I said, it could totally turn into like a horror flick. But I loved it. I'm sorry. I love that shit. Well, we love a little, uh, oh, I'm trying to find the word for it. We like a little hurt and comfort, right? Yeah, exactly. That's one of my things, right? I, I think that's, like, one of the most popular tags on Archive of Our Own, so it's all good. <laughs> um, I love it. I love it. Uh, let's go down to number three. And I love this couple. They are still a couple in my mind. I uh, do not accept anything else. And it is Gordon and Donna from Halt and Catch Fire. I do it. Oh, my heart. <laughs> so Halt and Catch Fire originally came out a couple of years ago. It lasted four seasons. It originally took place in the early 1980s during the real like computer revolution boom or something like that. And Gordon is a computer engineer who is responsible for helping Lee Pace's Joe McMillan create this computer that's going to revolutionize everything. But 
Gordon is with this woman, Donna. They have been married for some amount of years. They have two children with each other. But when you first meet them, their relationship is kind of, like, depressing because Gordon is so depressed. Gordon uh, suffered pretty much a, like, blow to his ego a couple of years prior to the show starting because uh, the computer that him and his wife created, which Donna is also a brilliant uh, engineer, they create a computer together, and when they try to display it at Comdex, which was a real-life, like, convention, pretty much, like, think about, like, the Comic-Con of, like, computers, right? And when they went to, like, like, turn it on, it didn't turn on. So they lost all that money, they lost that respect and all that. And even though Donna had to keep trucking on because she's a mother, she had children, Gordon became depressed as hell. Um, Eventually, Lee Pace's Joe kind of, like, reignites the fire under Gordon, and Gordon becomes all, you know, good at that point. I love the relationship between Gordon and Donna. Like, I just thought that they were so perfect with each other. They truly loved each other. They were both brilliant. They um, just knew how to, like, work well with each other. They knew how to party with each other. It's just that as things went on, it's like, I think that, they weren't used to say like the dynamic, right? Because even though Don- like when the show first starts, right? Even though Donna is this brilliant engineer, it's the 1980s, but they it's very like Donna takes on this role of like a 1950s housewife, even though she also has a job. So it's like when in the second season, Donna becomes more of like the working woman and having like all the time away from home and stuff like that. It like kind of throws Gordon for a loop, even though he's supportive of Donna, it, like, there's all these, like, factors, and it's one of those things where it's, like, it's just life, like, weighed them down a little too much, because Gordon ends up up having a brain condition that, honestly, it's his fault that he didn't feel comfortable enough to tell Donna at first. Instead, he decides to cheat on Donna, which I know... And they're like, oh, I'm so depressed. Let me go cheat on my wife. <laughs> and, you know, uh, but, like, when Donna found out about, like, Gordon's, like, brain condition, she, like, sat there and, you know, support him. She full-on was like, should I leave work to, like, help take care of you, pretty much. Like, she loved him. Um, and it's like, I truly believe that they, like, loved each other. It's just that, like, a for some reason, the show decided, hey, let's just have them divorce each other. Because they don't even do it on screen, right? Like, they don't even do it on screen. It's like they're with each other. They obviously are dealing with some problems because, you know, of the aftermath of, like, Gordon cheating, them moving to L.A., uh, Gordon feeling like Donna's holding that over him, you know, and them, like, you know, kind of, like, feeling stale. They've been together probably for, like, 15 years at this point. And I think that, like, they're just hit a rough patch. And then the show is, like, three years later, and they're divorced. So it's like we never see the divorce. And we never see the divorce on screen. But the thing is, is that in the fourth season, right, they're still divorced, but you see them. They talk every day on the phone with each other. They go to each other's houses to talk. They even, like, at some point, even, like, flirt with the idea of, like, hey, I'm not getting laid. You're not getting laid. Maybe we should get laid together. 
and they even like just talk about like how much like they love each other pretty much like there's at some point where donna like is kind of breaking because all the people in her life are like pretty much moving away from her not like physically like emotionally and she ends up getting arrested for drunk driving which is kind of ironic because the first episode of the show is gordon getting arrested for drunk driving and donna having to bail him out so donna at some point gets arrested and gordon goes and bails her out and they're like sitting in the car and pretty much donna like crying that like you know i lost you because i think they allude to the fact that Gordon was the one who asked for the divorce. And Donna's like, pretty much like, I lost, like, the best thing in my life, which was you. And Gordon says to her, like, you're this amazing woman. You know, I love you. Like, I loved that woman, and I still love, like, this woman. And I'm like, okay. Now, get back together. <laughs> just get back together. Yeah. Let's, it's just, like, get you- back together. And then, and then, spoiler alert, right? So Gordon at this point does have a girlfriend, which like who cares about her? They're never like you know. Who cares about <laughs> she is savage. She is no, savage. I really think they just threw her in there to be like, no, we, we're never getting Gordon and Donna back together here. There's this other chick. But my whole thing is that Gordon unfortunately dies. Which again, in my world, he doesn't die. But that's what the show decided to do. But. Gordon has this, like, brain condition where towards the end of his life, he starts hallucinating things. And literally the last thing that he hallucinates is Donna throughout the years. He hallucinates her when their children was young. He hallucinates her in, like, their kitchen. He hallucinates her, like, singing, like, lullabies to their daughter. And I'm like, you're telling me that Gordon didn't love her when literally the last thing that he sees in his life is Donna. And then literally the next episode, they have a flashback of Donna and Gordon when they first, like, got married and first had an infant. And they get into a fight, and he, like, leaves for the day, but realizes he wants to stay with Donna and comes back, and she's like, don't you ever do that to me again? Don't you ever leave me? And he's like, I won't, I promise. And I'm just like, I can't. These two loved each other. They just went through a rough patch because they had been together for, like, 15 years, but you didn't need to break them up show. So I'm sorry. I know I went on and on and on. I just love them. Like, I don't accept them divorcing, and I don't accept Gordon dying. <laughs> I That's what gets me. It's like, they, when you do a death, you make everything so absolute when it did not have to be that way. Because you literally killed off, like, like, I know it sounds bad, but it's, like, the main character. I know there's, like, a lot of other people, but it's, like, Gordon was central. Gordon, like, I feel like it wasn't necessary. My whole thing is that I think what the show is trying to do is that, like, Donna was, you know, Donna eventually, like, um, ends up, like, the the show started where in the like first couple of seasons it was about engineering computers right and then in the last season it was more so like software like they're dealing with like search engines and shit and you find out Donna ends up like working for like Yahoo at some point like the invention of like Yahoo she comes up with the like Yahoo like you know oh, and it's like um which for I guess anyone who's not 
old doesn't realize that at some point when you went to the Yahoo browser, it literally went, Yahoo. Um, so, yeah, just for anyone who's younger than, I guess, 30, uh, she would know that. But anyway, whatchamacallit. It? So it's like, I think they're supposed to show, like, hey, Donna's this, like, strong woman, like, out on her own. Like, we don't need her to be in this relationship. It's like, I get, because they did the same thing with, like, Cameron, right? Like, yeah. even though Joe and yeah. Cameron get back together at some point in season four, they end up breaking up again at the end of season four and it's more so like Cameron and Donna decide to work together again and it's like I get that you see we got two strong ladies on this podcast I understand like independent women (laughs) like I understand that like we both independent women but that doesn't mean that you had to break up Donna and Gordon okay like you didn't yeah, need to like, go down that path, yeah, man. Like, <laughs> I know. It's like, she could be strong and independent, but Gordon's soft and squishy. Let, let us just have them together. I just hated it. Like, it's one of those things where it's like, even for me, like, Brittany, I know I'm, like, putting us on blast right now, but even when you and I, like, brainstorm, it's, like, so hard for me sometimes, because I'm, like, I love Gordon and Donna together. Like, how do I, like, fictionally break them up? (laughs) I know. It's, like, uh, there's so many characters. Like, uh, like, that's how I felt about Maggie and Forrest. I was, like, their love is so pure. It's not fair. But I love Gordon and Donna together. I just love their relationship. Like, I and you know what's so funny is that like Gordon is so like you know, especially in the beginning, like the nerd, right? And then Donna's this like beautiful, ethereal sort of like very smart woman. They bang like bunnies. Like any chance of what? Yes, yes, and yeah, they're both like pot smokers and shit like you so when you see them you're like Don is so prim and proper she like you know is the mother who works and she has like her two children and you're like oh okay she doesn't do it it's like no she's like smoking pot and like you know doing bad things too like I loved it um it's like I love relaxed okay right right um there's at some point where she's, like, all stressed and goes on a retreat where she, like, eats magic mushrooms. It's hilarious. Um, oh, my I, just, I, just, I don't know. I think Donna and, like, Gordon just had this, like, fantastic relationship that the show was, like, we need drama, you know, and we can't keep making it Joe and Cameron having the drama. So we need to have Gordon and Donna have the drama. Oh, and it's like, we need to. <laughs> thrusting slash not thrusting no it's so funny you say that right because like ever since knowing that so what Brittany is talking about is like AMC apparently has like a no thrusting rule to its like sex scenes and we know this because John Bernthal when he was playing Shane on The Walking Dead said that when he was trying to do his sex scenes with the actress who plays Lori that literally like (laughs) the producers and directors were like no thrusting thrusting." So ever since I know that about AMC, it's like, it's so obvious to me. So I know this is really crude, right? But if you look at the first episode of Halt and Catch Fire, right? There's a scene where Joe and Cameron have sex. 
and it's so awkward because it's just yeah. him. They're like making yeah. out, and then he just like turns her around on the wall, and he's like, "Yeah, you want?" That? But they're just like standing still, and I'm just like, <laughs> when things are like finished, you're like, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, oh, what? It's like, wait, how did he finish? He didn't even move. It's <laughs> like a freaking um. So sorry, like Toby's laying on me and he's being a, a hellion right now. But I was gonna say, um, to, who was it to? Where it's like you're a married man, John. You can't keep doing this. Oh, yeah. John Bernthal said his mom was like saw the sex scene on camera like when the show premiered and it was like you're a married man now John you can't be doing that (laughs) that's gotta be awkward like when you're married and an actor it's like suddenly you're doing that I know people be like that's like like, remember in like high school when people would like have to kiss or something people were all like all dramatic about it be like oh but she has a boyfriend or you know blah 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 and everybody being like oh please I one time was in a high school not high school sorry a college play and um one of the um what you know called one of our co-stars or whatever had a boyfriend that she had had for quite some time really and her character had to like be flirt like didn't kiss right didn't have really any sort of physical reaction just had to be like flirty with like a male co-star on stage oh her boyfriend did not like that her boyfriend like held like oh my God. She, she tried like the play it the play that we did was like for um a script writing class so there was no like directors it was like us making the script to the point where she asked us if some other character could be like that to that male character and it's like it doesn't make sense for any of the other boyfriend's a dork. And it's like I got I could get like, oh if you got jealous like over the kissing or you know something and more and more but flirting? Yeah. No, no, I'm telling you there was nothing in that script, you know, that had anything to do with like any sort of physical contact. Oh my gosh. Oh my that would God. be stressful. Especially because if they only got to that point after like like uh, the play was actually going on because you would lose your lead actor at that point. Yeah, it was very awkward. It was very awkward, but um, yeah. Gordon and Donna for number three. Brittany, what is your number two? Which I guess is it's number two on the list, but technically you're number one. Now, what before, is the I pick, before I pick and I'm looking at my list here, give me a hint to your number one. Um... The guy has the same first name as the, the pick you just did. I knew it. Okay. <laughs> I knew it. I'm going to go with Glenn and Maggie from The Walking Dead. Oh, that's and, and a good one. what I like about them. Okay, so, you know, they initially meet because Glenn is with the group that uh, Shane's a part of when he's taking care of everybody. But Glenn's more of like a scout. He can get in and out of these places that, you know, Nobody else can. Like, 
And he goes off by himself a lot, and he's not really worried about going off by himself, which I find, like, you know, really interesting that, you know, he has that kind of, like, lack of fear. But he is considered kind of, like, a smaller, little more of a, kind of a scared guy, I guess I would say. And he meets Maggie, because they end up getting to Herschel's farm, and that's when Herschel was keeping all the walkers in the shed, and or in the barn, and, you know, them getting used to everything. And, uh, but Maggie's, like, not like the little lady. Maggie is like, I am a farm lady. I'm sorry, Toby. <laughs> I knew it was coming. That's why I sounded distracted. I was like, please, Toby, no. I could just hit him, see him hit my keyboard and ending the recording. It would be bad. But, um, you know, they end up getting to Herschel's farm. And it's like he ends up being like, Maggie is like the alpha and I think that's what I like about it is that like I think Maggie's taller and she's a little more like assertive slash like kind of like not aggressive but you know she does take that very much of like a leadership role and I like that Glenn he may be a little weaker a little more scared but it's like he's just as clever and they they feed off of each other so well where it's, like, you felt like the relationship was very real. Like, I think even Aaron said that, like, Glenn was one of his favorites before he saw But he's, like, I knew what was going to happen to Glenn. I just saw it. I just saw it. And it's, like, um, you know, Maggie's so sick when, right before the Negan incident happens. And you think when Abraham died, you know, oh, that's the end of it. Toby, stop it. Stop it. Stop it. He's like, he's grabbing my keyboard cable and just like, plays. just, he wants so much attention. <laughs> <laughs> the stress is real. <laughs> I know. Because you're like, you're already like trying to explain everything. You're like, you're just watching this little asshole with his little claws extending and just yanking at it. But, um,. You know, you thought at first, like, a lot of people are, like, in the, I think in the comics, Glenn dies, right? Yeah. He, he dies that way, too. And so, at first, when people saw Abraham die, they were like, did they let, did they let Glenn live? Because, you know, Abraham was not supposed to live to that point. Abraham never got to that scene. He died pretty early on, right? Like, after his initial, like, showing. Not, not early on, no. Um, Abraham, I think either died before that or wasn't a part of that part of that lineup anyway abraham died the same way um you remember that girl who was with tara um who got the arrow through the eye that's how abraham was initially supposed to die that was his death and I think people, like, at first were like, well, this is fine, then we're safe, because, you know, but so, you know, when Abraham died, and it's like, you know, and Maggie and Glenn are so, like, Glenn's worried about Maggie, because she is so sick, because she's pregnant, and it's another thing, is like, when Glenn and Maggie, like, had sex, and you're like, those unprotected bastards, I mean, <laughs> I, you know, it was playing the Walking Dead games, I had this moment, because there, there's another pregnant, it was actually, I think, like, a couple of pregnant people, and I sat there and I was like, I would not be banging if I knew there was a chance. Like, you would think, like, and and I think, like, like somebody was like, well, people get horny. And I'm like, I don't care. Like, who wants to get pregnant in the middle of, like, the apocalypse? Then you're like a lunch pack of, like, for a walker. Like, like you just, it's just, like, it's so bad. And so when Glenn and Maggie did I was like, and she got pregnant, I felt such stress. I was like, kind of like Lori. 
And then, oh, like, you know, yeah, you have such a stressful, like, are you going to have a fit enough community? And you go, like, it's not like kittens where they grow fully up in a few months. It's like that baby's going to be, like, helpless for the next foreseeable at least, like, what, like, 13 years? Like, yeah. however long it takes to hold a gun. Like, you always know, saw Judas. Like, Ju- Judas. I said Judas, (laughs) but it's like, I don't know. I just, I found like, I'm kind of getting off topic because I did get distracted by Toby, Uh, but I just thought they were, had such good chemistry between each other. It felt very real. It's a love that lasted from what? Season two to season, uh, yeah, it's like they were together for so long. And when Glenn died, and it's like Maggie's kind of... I think, though, Maggie did show how strong she was, because it's like, she still gave birth, still is the leader of the hilltop, still got was getting revenge against Negan, when Negan's like, by uh, God, is the widow, guns a-blazing! Like, I love that he calls her the widow, because that was the whole thing, and it's like... I don't know. It's just, like, I love that there's, like, that nod to Glenn with it. And, like, it does take, a, like, a strong woman to be able to, like, carry on from that moment and still do all that. Be the leader. Be the mother. Be a widow. Be, you know, like, all this. She lost everything but also gained a lot, too. But from the moment they meet, like, Glenn is, like, smitten with Maggie. Like, he is, like, oh, hello. And, and at first, Herschel, like, and I don't know if, like, Herschel turns out, like, was he a little racist at first, or was he... Like, I, that's what I always, I like, think, try to tell. I think the thing is that, like... Herschel does, like, refer to him, like, and say, like, oh, the Asian boy or something like that. And I think, like, Maggie says something akin to, like... Oh, I think he calls him, like, Chinese or something. And Maggie's, like, he's Korean. And Herschel's, like, I don't care that he's Asian, I care that you're my daughter, and these are outsiders who, like, come in, so it's, like, he, I don't think it came from that, like, oh, I don't want to see my daughter with, like, you know, someone who isn't white, I think it was coming from, like, you know, there's these we got, we got, we got Rick and Shane who were like, I don't trust their assholes, and he's part of that group, I don't want you part of that group. But then he clearly, uh, you know, warms up to Glenn because he gives him his watch, like a family heirloom. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Because that's like, I, I don't know if I had ever particularly saw that scene, but I think, I, of course, you know how Twitter is. Like, I thought Twitter said something about with Herschel, and that's why I was like, well, is that the case? But hearing that, I'm like, okay, you know. But yeah. Hershey is a Herschel is a grumpy old man. He is a grumpy. very very ratchet from Transformers. <laughs> I love Glenn and Maggie. You can't talk about like Walking Dead romances without Glenn and Maggie. I first of all, I loved how like nervous Glenn was about Maggie at first because he he's really awkward, right? Yeah. And just yeah. like not having it because I'll always remember that like. They had sex, and he says something about, like, oh, I have, like, 12 condoms or something left. And she's like, oh, that's 12 minutes of my life that I don't, like, want to lose or something. Like, pretty much, like, insinuating that he doesn't last. And it's like, like, poor Glenn. But... Um, it's funny because obviously then they end up like really caring for each other. And I think that they 
in, you know, there's no priest or any, I mean, there's, I guess, Reverend or Father Gabriel, but I don't think he officially marries them. I think they just say that they're husband and wife at that point, you know? Um, but I was rewatching the Terminus uh, episodes, right? And in that, um, Maggie and Glenn get separated when they leave the prison, and neither of them give up on finding the other, right? Like, they know, like, instinctively that the other is, like, alive, right? Like, because Maggie at that point is with Sasha and Bob. And Sasha's like, Maggie, it doesn't make sense for us to, like, be taking all these detours or something. You know, like, we have to accept that Glenn might be dead. And she's like, you guys can go, but... I'm going to look for Glenn. And then at this point, Glenn is with Abraham's group. And they're like, you know, at that point, Abraham believes Eugene's bullshit. And it's like, we got to go to DC. And Glenn's like, fucking Eugene. Um, And, you know, at that point, Glenn is like, you guys can keep going to DC. I'm going to go find Maggie, you know? And there's at some point where, um, Maggie had, like, written, like, things, like, Glenn, if you're seeing this, like, go this way or something, right? So Glenn is, like, following, and they go to this, like, uh, underpass tunnel that is dark. You can't see, but there's, like, you can hear walkers, and Abraham's like, you know, don't go in there. There's clearly walkers, and Glenn's like, if Maggie did this, then I'm going to do it, you know? And it's like they loved each other so much they like honestly fed off of each other as you said so well like and the thing that was like great about glenn was he really was like the humanity there like i think he was the one who was like telling rick like you know how to keep his humanity because there were a lot of times that like rick seemed like he was losing it especially when rick um you know, had them all go into that facility and kill all of those, like, savior people in their sleep. Glenn didn't have a lot of issues with that. Glenn had a lot of issues, and I think Glenn said something akin to, like, afterwards, like, we're never going to do that again. And if you do that again, then I'm out. Like, you know, Glenn was very much the humanity and the heart of the group and I really didn't see him dying I know that he died in the comics but as you said when Negan hit Abraham you're like okay this is like they're sacrificing Abraham over Glenn right and oh god it was so bad because as he's like dying doesn't he say to Maggie like I will find you because it's like they were always just trying to get back to each other and I was like oh I'm so see. This is why I'll never forgive um, Negan. He he took Glenn away. You should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> oh, me? Oh, uh, I'm fine. I didn't do anything. <laughs> no, I love Glenn and Maggie. They're a great couple, and I, it's crazy because you are right. They were together for a really long time. Like, that is true. That is very true. I I love them. Glenn and Maggie definitely deserve to be on this list, deserve to be this high on the list. So 
Great job, Brittany. Um, <laughs> we are down to the number one on our top ten uh, best romances in TV and movies. Sorry, I had to adjust my headset. Um, before we get to the number one, let's go down the list. We have Hannibal and Clarice, Hot Priest and Fleabag, Lenny Bruce and Midge, Molly and Tiago, Maggie and Forrest, Captain America and Peggy, Frank and Adele, Gordon and Donna, Glenn and Maggie, and the number one drum roll, please. No. <laughs> I can't hear if you're doing a drum roll, but it's okay. Um, <laughs> it is going to be Frank Castle and Karen Page. Yes, I know what you may say, that they never technically got with each other, but... That doesn't matter. We already have other uh, romances here, like Lenny and Midge, that never yeah, got with each other. Yeah, like, from Daredevil Season 2, I was like, Karen and Frank love each other. And I even remember, like, after that, the amount of, like, fan fiction between those two was, like, astronomical. It was so high. But... My point is that, like, oh, God, I, I love Frank and Karen. I really feel that if it had continued, if the Punisher hadn't been canceled, we would have seen them get together. Because first of all, like, so really quick, you have in Daredevil Season 2, Karen works for Matt, and they decide to, well, for, okay, first of all, no, sorry, there's so much happening here. Freaking, um... <laughs> Matt uh, and Foggy end up representing this guy who was part of the Irish mob that was hit by the Punisher. And Karen is responsible for watching the guy in the hospital. Well, Frank comes and makes such a grand entrance. <laughs> Guns are blazing. Um, but... But you find out later that Frank was never actually specifically shooting at Karen. He was shooting places next to her to make sure that she was running certain places. Because as he said later on, if I wanted you dead, you'd be dead. Right? But that's hot. (laughs) Um, I was going to say, I loved in freaking... in Daredevil Season 2, Karen's doing all this research to find out who the hell the Punisher even is, finds out about, you know, goes to his house. And that scene is so good in the hospital when um, Frank wants to speak to Karen alone because he's like, you were in my house. And they have this big emotional freaking like, moment of, like, Frank revealing what happened to his family, Karen, Tar, like, they just, oh, God. And he's like, and he pretty much says to, like, Foggy, like, I'm only doing this if, like, you know, she's around, you know, like just pretty much like as long as Karen's around and you see like in the courtroom scenes, how she like, you know, tries to comfort him a few times. Cause remember he didn't want to do the PTSD angle. And when there was at some point where it looked like the expert was going in that direction, she was like, no, it's not like, just, you know, keep listening, blah, blah, blah. Oh my God. It was so good. Brittany, there's so much like, the freaking diner scene where they have that like big like first they were flirting with each other okay because when this is after karen pulled the gun on frank and he because think about it this way this is at the time where like everyone thought frank killed like you know that lady official i forget 
if she was like the governor, the mayor, or the D- no, she's the DA. I'm sorry. Yeah. And you know, they all thought that. And Frank needed to sh- tell Karen, like in person, like that wasn't me. And she pulls the gun on him. And when they're in the diner later, and he's just like, oh, what, you know, he's like, was that your first time holding the gun? And she kind of like smirks him, and he smirks back. And I'm like, wow, you guys are flirting right now. Um, that scene. It was just whenever he like uh, saves her and he like encompasses his whole. Oh body. yeah. After, I was like, he didn't just like, oh, like I'm gonna lay on top of you. He's like, I am going to tuck and roll you so that if any part of you is exposed, like I, I, oh, I got someone, it. Someone pointed that out because it's crazy. Because earlier in that episode, they got like Karen was with Matt and they were getting shot at, which it's like, oh my god. Um, and Matt, like, you know, knocked her to the ground, obviously, but he kind of only had, like, an arm around her. And someone, like, said, like, oh, whereas Matt, like, has an arm, here's Frank, like, let me just, like, be over you. Um, bear hug you. Bear hug you. And then at the end of season two of... Uh, a daredevil when Frank is taking his old like commanding officer because he finds out that the commanding officer had something to do with the death of his family. Karen's like, if you kill him, like, you know, you can say goodbye to me pretty much. Like, then you really are the monster that everyone claims you are. You know, like, just trying to beg Frank. And I'm just like, oh, oh. Brittany, do you remember when we got the first trailer to the first season of The Punisher and you saw Frank kissing Karen's forehead? We were like, it's happening! It's happening! They blew balls, uh, though. They blew balls. They so did. All right, you had Frank giving Karen flowers, showing up to say That's Brittany. That scene in the elevator when they were just staring at each other. And they, like, they're just staring at each other, all bloody. And I was like, it's happening. It's happening. <laughs> and and they go to lean in, and they just, like, lean their foreheads against each other. I'm like, okay, now just move the other parts of and your yeah, face. Like, and you can't be like, oh, you know, his, his wife, you know, his dead wife. But it's like he was banging in that whole season. Maybe not the whole season, but he was banging. No. That was in season two. He was banging that chick. Um, but what you calls it? No. Oh, and then in the second season, right? You didn't see it, but Karen only showed up for one episode. But it was enough, Brittany. It was enough. Frank was in a hospital bed. Karen goes to see him, and he's just like, what are you doing here? You know, um, shouldn't you be with that Matt Murdock guy? And she's like, I'm here, pretty much, you asshole. Like, I care about you. Stop pushing me away. You keep pushing me away. You're never going to be able to succeed in doing that, you know? Like, I'm here. And at some point, he, like, gets up, and he pretty much, like, tells her that he's just afraid of something bad happening to her and that everything one around him gets hurt and he can't imagine that happening to her but, you know he pretty much in so wor- many words says that he like loves her and she literally like touches his chest and again with the eyes looking at each other and then that little shit Amy fucking steps in and goes oh I'm sorry am I interrupting something she's like you guys and she literally goes you guys are so cute <laughs> She ruined it for us, Tia. She ruined it for us. 
I will say before I like pass along to you, to me, the most unrealistic thing that the Netflix Marvel series ever did was in the third season of Daredevil. Karen's life is in danger because at this point Wilson Fisk knows that Karen is the one who killed Wesley and Bullseye is after Karen, right? And at some point Karen calls her dad and I'm like, you're telling me that Karen Page is in danger and she don't call fucking Frank Castle. I go, if if Frank Castle even had an inkling that Karen's life was in danger. He like he would stop whatever he'd be doing. He'd be like torturing some guy, he'd get the call and he'd be like, oh sorry, I gotta go. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be uh, yeah. can I rate check this? Can we uh, reschedule? Can we uh can we yeah. do something? Like I'm sorry, Bullseye would have been dead. Like Frank would have just sniped him out. And he would have been dead. Um I, Go ahead, sorry. <laughs> Because I definitely think Frank could have taken Bullseye. Yeah, 100%. But, uh, Brittany, what do you think about Frank and Karen? I was going to say, they were another one that I was so really excited about doing this podcast for, like with Gordon and uh, Donna and then everybody else, <laughs> Hannibal. Um, I, I was going to say, Frank was just... He, I think it's because we love these characters that are so hard-ass and they're so, like, gruff and grumbly, kind of like Forrest, but that they soften. And I think it's because it, I know that people would be like, oh, well, that's so cliche. And it's like, there, it's throughout history. What you'll hear about, like, these evil leaders, these rulers, but they, that they were softened by one person. And I think that is realistic in that aspect. It's like with Karen, it's like she was able to go through his barrier and get to know the old him, to know the current him and understand why he's this way instead of like everybody just thinking he's like the boogeyman at night. He was like the the killer version of Batman in the night who was like, I'm going to swoop up these assholes and just murderize them. And the thing is, is that Frank like, knew Karen for who she was, right? Because if you think about when Frank met Karen in season two, I think that he finds out that, like, something had happened to her brother. Like, you know, he knows that she's used a gun before, that she's killed before. Um, At that point, I think Matt still thinks of her on this, like, virtuous, like, pedestal, right? That I think she even, like, says to him in season three, like, you held me up on this as if I'm some sort of, like, innocent angel, but, like, I've done things too. And Frank, like, knows that from day one and, like, accepts that. It's like that she isn't just this, like, damsel in distress. She can take care of herself. She's a lot stronger than anyone thinks, you know, which is why... In the Punisher season one, he trusts her with, you know, getting information and giving and like keeping him in the loop. I love their reunion in frickin' uh, in Punisher season one where he's in like the homeless like hobo. Yes! Thing. And he's just waiting. 
because he knew that she was the kind of person to like like give money to the homeless and, and like and i don't know if you remember but that's the first time he calls her karen because all the other times it was like ma'am miss page or something like that and he was like karen it's like he said karen <laughs> The only acceptable Karen. The only acceptable Karen. I was just thinking that. <laughs> oh, I loved it. I loved Frank and Karen. Like, I remember watching The Punisher season two, and I was like, when does Karen show up? And when she showed up in the 10th episode, I was so happy because it was such a great, like, moment between. Because Karen pretty much, like, said, like, stop with your bullshit frank because frank was like on his bullshit of like oh i gotta push everyone away you don't understand like you know i'm doing this for your own good it's i'm like, so glad like, dance before like yeah. just get off your bullshit like you said no, it's in that moment like someone points out because in that hostel scene it's like karen and then it becomes amy and then it becomes um dina right madani mm -hmm. It's like all the women in Frank's life who are like, stop your bullshit, Frank. <laughs> I like how he has so many women around him. He, he just attracts them. They know that he's a hot man. They're like, okay, this is like a reverse, a harem. It's going to be, I was going to say reverse harem, but that's just a harem. That's just a harem. But yeah, I love Frank and Karen. I have all the confidence that they would have gotten together if there had been a Punisher season three or even a Daredevil season two. Um, and by the way, Deborah Ann Wool still loves John Bernthal because she posted a picture of John Bernthal from the Punisher season one when it was John Bernthal's um, birthday recently saying, I love and miss this guy. And I was just like... <laughs> I just need it. But, um, Brittany, before we wrap everything up, did you have any honorable mentions that we, you would like to throw out there? I think I had Jim and Pam from The Office and Leslie uh, Nope and Ben Wyatt from uh, Parks and Rec because they're goals. They are goals. Uh, I guess if I had some uh, honorable mentions, it would definitely be Peter Quill and Gamora, um, Scott Lang and Hope. I just loved them so much with each other. And I'm sure I can come up with others, but I can't at the moment. So, yeah, that is our top ten uh, best romances in movies and TV shows. Brittany, tell everyone where they can find you, what you got to do. Now that everyone sees a actual camera version of you, this is your uh, your domain during your streaming. This is my this domain. Is I don't light up that thing right here because it, it takes the focus of the camera, but I really love this room because I do uh, Twitch streaming, and that's actually what I'll be doing tonight, and mon not Monday, Tuesday, and all these other days, but uh, I stream on Itty Bitty Brit, so it's twitch.tv slash Itty Bitty Brit, I've been playing Outlast 2, which is uh, way terrifying that Outlast and Outlast whistleblower, because it's all like religious themes, like uh, there's the heretics, there's the... Uh, the believers basically and uh basically uh you, you crash in a helicopter and your wife gets found and she's suddenly like nine months pregnant in a single night and they're saying she's going to give birth to the antichrist so you know 
pretty pretty freaking scary not gonna lie <laughs> i like that little adjustment there but um you can find me on twitter at itty bitty brit zero so you can keep up with my schedule and i post some goofy shit there you know how twitter is <laughs> it's a twitter page it's a twitter page yes everyone please make sure that you check that out um i can't imagine anything more terrifying than the previous outlast game so yeah um if you're not a big weenie like i am check Brittany out um, <laughs> <laughs> If you want, you can check me out, TFAB. I'm on both Twitter and Instagram. Geekfivesnation.com has links to all of our social media accounts. You can find our reviews, our articles, our opinion pieces, news, all of that. We have some amazing, amazing uh, interviews that are out there already. Yesterday, I did a review for Netflix's show Ratchet with Sean Ventura of Lights Camera Pro Podcast. So please make sure that you check that out. And recently, I did an interview with James Gavzi, who is the producer of the new uh, it's like a podcast, uh, also visual, you can find it on YouTube, from Digital Sky Media called Rideshare. It's actually really good. The first two uh, episodes are out now, so I definitely suggest that. And, yeah, besides that, Brittany, it was great doing this with you, and I uh, think we should try and do it again at some point. Um, but, everyone, thank you so much. <laughs> Have a great day. Bye now. Bye, guys. Bye. See you all later.